Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And I hope everybody's having a fabulous day in Alaska. We want to thank everybody that listens, watches, and reads Must Read Alaska. We do this to spread the conservative side of news all over Alaska. And we really appreciate folks listening in. We also appreciate folks that want to help keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. If you're one of those folks, head on over to mustreadalaska.com. On the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. Click on that bad boy. And every $5, $10, $100 donation helps keep the lights on here. We're not funded by some huge grant or nonprofit conglomerate. We're just funded by everyday folks that care about conservative news in Alaska. So if that is already you, thank you so much for helping keep the lights on. And without further ado, we have a very special guest today, Representative Ben Carpenter, who I have a little bias because he's my rep. And uh, Ben's just an awesome guy. Um, he has put together kind of a comprehensive fiscal plan that we're going to be talking about today. And it's going to be very exciting. He, if folks watch the governor's press conference, you probably saw Representative Carpenter speak a little bit about it, but today he's going to be speaking about it for a good 20 minutes. So everybody bat down the hatches, put on your seatbelt. You're going to get a lesson uh, on the, what the fiscal plan looks like or potentially could look like for the state of Alaska. So Ben, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. How are you doing? John's good to be with you. Oh, just living the dream here, you know, one dream at a time. I got my Hope coffee mug, which is very exciting. One of my favorite places. And um, I'm excited to be chatting with you about this fiscal plan. So Representative Carpenter, talk to me, give us a brief, you know, uh, elevator talk on how did this plan even come about in the first place? Well, the... Um... The plan came about as an outgrowth of the 2021 fiscal policy working group that um, only came about because we narrowly aver averted a government shutdown in 2021. Basically, we had a little, we had the little delay there. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, we will work through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's early this morning. Um, so anyway, there were a bunch of us that wanted to have a conversation about a long-term fiscal plan. Um, we had to take a uh, take a tactic to to hold up the budget in order to even have the conversation, and that was what happened in uh, 2021, June 30th. We finally reached an agreement. You know, days a day before the budget was uh, due, the government was due to shut down, and we agreed that we would have this fiscal policy working group to talk about our options for long-term fiscal plan. Anyway, so we met in July and August of 21, and, and there was a bipartisan, bicameral, meaning both the House and the Senate, both caucuses from each body, sent an equal number of members to participate in this, this uh, group, and it produced a report that's public, and that provided some recommendations for how to solve both the, the numbers fiscal problem. Um, generally speaking, there weren't any bills or resolutions recommended, but just some some topic areas. 
and then also how to solve the political problem that kind of sits on top of the the larger um, numbers problem, if you will. And so um, House Ways and Means, I, I pick up the chairmanship of that this uh, session in January. And I, I decided to take that fiscal policy working group report and kind of use it as framework for providing legislation for the legislature to consider in regards to a fiscal plan. And we came up with kind of a four point focus to deal with um, deal with uh, the PFD problem, deal with a, a spending limit, deal with new revenue and uh, deal with a, a, a tax reduction in order to spur economic growth. And that's kind of what we were in a nutshell, what we had worked on and continue to work on. We don't have consensus in the legislature right now as to the components of a fiscal plan. There are, there are people that don't want to have a fiscal plan. The, the current plan that's working, that's in play now, some people like, and there are others who wanna have a fiscal plan, but lots of very um, varied opinions on what that actually looks like. Some people wanna see cuts to the government, to the, to the budget as part of that plan. Some wanna see increased spending as part of that plan. It's uh, a smorgasbord of, uh, of opinions here that is hard to wrap around. But what I what I've found in talking to folks is that when you say there's a structural problem, I'm not sure that people really fully understand what we mean when we say structural problem. And I kind of wanted to have a conversation today about just kind of an education on from my perspective, what the structural problem is. And if you would uh, uh, indulge me for a minute, I will I will share this screen and show you. Nice. A, I like a couple it. Slides. I heard I, the word on the street is you have a slide, a couple slides for us. And uh, I just have to figure out how to make the technology work. OK, I think we're, we're getting there. Yep, we got it. Okay, so this isn't my my slide. This is um, Department of Revenue slide. This is comes from their presentation in um, the finance committees. What we what you're looking at is the spring forecast, Department of Revenue spring forecast for um, for 2023. So this happened um, March timeframe, March April timeframe, and and this is a pictorial showing the breakdown of money revenue that comes into the state and and where its kind of main categories are so some people still believe that oil revenue is our main source of revenue for the state and that is no longer the case wow so that that's a kind of a paradigm shift that people have to realize that that we're not a we're not dependent we are dependent on oil but it's not it's not our main source of revenue a little bit of this is skewed because um, we've had some lingering um, COVID relief money, so your your federal dollars are a little bit skewed. But uh, over the last uh, since I've been in the legislature, 2018, it's roughly been a third, a third, a third, a third of federal revenue, a third of investment earnings, and a third of petroleum. As you can see here for this year's spring forecast, the the federal revenue piece is the largest, but it's really comparable to our investment earnings, and our petroleum comes in third as the the size of the amount of revenue that's coming into the state and then all of the other revenue that the state generates is all de minimis right it is it is not very large it doesn't impact our budget a whole lot it's ha half a billion dollars less than half a billion dollars yeah so when people say something like well just beef up the fisheries or beef up the tourism 
beef up the mining, okay, we're going to double it and we're going to move to 0.5 to 1%. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? But where does where does the opportunity exist and where do Alaskans work? Yeah. They mostly live and work in that other revenue, other economy. You've got some people that work in the petroleum industry, but they're not, not the majority of Alaskans. You don't really have a, a whole lot of people working in the investment earnings piece of this. That's a few Alaskans that work for the Permanent Fund Corporation. We do have quite a bit of people who are um, dependent on federal money flowing in, but that's not a private sector. It's not like they're generating revenue or generating wealth for the state. There isn't a, a, uh, uh, a wealth creation aspect to that money. The wealth creation aspect really is just your petroleum revenue and all of your other revenues. That's where the wealth of the state is. That's where the, the people are working and where you where you put peonies in the ground and they, they pop up every year and you cut them down and you sell them and you create wealth out of that activity, right? Whatever, whatever the private sector economic activity is, it's represented in all of that revenue that isn't coming into the state that's de minimis. So we talk about a structural problem. So I've got a, a picture of the state here and I've highlighted that um, the this, this center circle there that says legislative decisions, it's it's pure white, right? Because all of our decisions are are made purely. We're very <laughs> purely focused. I like that. <laughs> so what we do have to make our pure decisions is revenue coming in. And like we said, the main sources of revenue are federal funds, permanent fund earnings and oil taxes and a, and a small amount of other. And then the influence that's happening within the legislature is the government lobby. One, it's because of the revenue sources and where the money's being spent. And two, it's because we're down in Juneau. We've got government institutions, and that's all of our state government that is vying for money. That's all of the local municipalities and school districts that are vying for money. Then you've got nonprofits that have been um, created in the state to serve quasi-government roles of uh, dealing with social services and that type of thing. Um, we created, not created, but are started funding a, uh, an additional set of nonprofits in the last budget cycle, which was um, daycare. Uh, and then you've got for-profit businesses who advocate for state spending because their business is dependent on state dollars. So think of road maintenance and mm -hmm. other uh, construction activities, uh, lobbies, uh, I'm sorry, uh, unions fit into this category as well, right? So, so a, ton of, a ton of this influence is folks that are connected to, you know, their bottom lines connected to the government. No, to that revenue. That revenue, yeah. In this chart, I'm showing that the that the legislative decisions, if you can think of that, that uh, oval being propped up by those two arrows, it's kind of balancing on those two arrows. The revenue sources and the influence are influencing and 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 guiding what legislative decisions come out of here, right? Well, I highlighted the Juno Empire article that was written, and you can see that that was written down in 2018. And I've got that that red arrow in the bottom left corner, kind of out of the way, so it's hard to see. It doesn't really step out at you. It's kind of forgotten about, but that was 2018. Our private sector, small business economy is really struggling. It continues to struggle. 
And there's nothing in this chart that I'm showing you that influences our legislative decisions that has anything to do with that small small business uh, environment. Yeah. Unless it's tied to getting revenue from the state. If you've got a line, line item in the budget, then you've got some sort of lobby down here that's going to um, benefit your business. Which to me is very concerning. I mean, if people are listening to this and connecting the dots, you know, so, I mean, yeah. that's very, very worrisome if I'm a small business owner, which I am. <laughs> We've got outward migration of Alaskans and, and people want to know why. And down here they'll say, well, they're leaving because the schools suck. Well, that might be part of it, but it might also be part that that we don't have a growing economy. So what's happened since the decline of oil, right? Um, we established oil in the state. It saved uh, it, uh, saved the state from, from misery because we had lots of oil money. And it worked for many years. And it's still, to some extent, working, but it's in decline. The oil industry and the revenue generated from it is in decline. You have to continue to um, explore and drill new wells and produce um, more amounts of oil to see an increase in oil revenue into the future. And, and we're not doing that. The political environment, both nationally and internationally, is making it very difficult for oil industry to drill new wells. So for the foreseeable future, not excluding the Willow Project, we're going to, we're going to continue to see a, a decline of oil revenue. Well, this decline started um, decades ago. We recognized it. We had we had did what what legislatures do. We adjusted our tax scheme to make more revenue for us at the at the cost of of uh, oil industry. Right. That's how we came up with the Aces um, tax scheme. I like that you call it a scheme. <laughs> that scheme. Yeah. So the the point is is that the the Prudhoe Bay revenue structure. The, the revenue that's coming from that is in over over long term is going is going to continue to be in decline. So over the past uh, decade, we spent down our savings, recognizing that oil was not going to fill the budget. We reduced some of our expenses, um, uh, largely uh, capital investments, uh, capital spending, and some statewide items and some operating expenses. So we've done some reductions in state spending. But we spent down $16 billion down to about $2 billion as it's currently at. And if we don't do anything different, we're going to continue having to pull from that CBR with the decline of oil. If oil comes up, then we don't have to pull from the CBR. We don't have any other, uh, any other choice if those are the two sources of revenue. It, it's not, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you would have to continue to, to spend out of the CBR to, to balance your budget if your oil is not going to pay the bills. And that's only got a couple of years left. And it's only got a couple of years left at, at the rate at which we need to pull from. Okay. So <clears throat> now we've got the permanent fund dividend program that has, uh, since uh, uh, Governor Walker was in, got tapped to help spend, uh, pay for uh, state government. So when I came in in 2018, we were still, you know, fighting over a statutory PFD. <laughs> and and over the years, it's turned into a 5% of market value and a 50-50 draw. And now we're at a 25-75. Because we don't have another source of revenue. Oil is oil is uh, declining. CBR balance is about gone. 
our savings is about gone and we don't have another source of revenue. And what the question has got to be what's next because our government is going to continue to grow. Even if, and I'm not saying that from a political uh, perspective, I'm saying that from a numbers perspective. We could change that, but we have programmatic in increases and we have inflationary increases that will over time, the government will just naturally grow. We have to be very disciplined to prevent that from happening. And and discipline is not a word that I would use to describe our legislature. Yeah, even so, if even if you have a group of folks down there that are committed to small government, you know, worst case scenarios, it's still going to grow at the rate of inflation, probably. And, and I, I showed with the previous slide that the the effort that it takes to instill discipline is is um, directly related to the amount of lobbying that goes on down here from the government lobby to increase spending. And that's increased spending through op um, operational budgets, meaning institutions need additional spending. And then that's lobbying for additional uh, capital projects um, for for necessary capital projects. So it's it's a, a never ending cycle and a very influential lobby that continues the growth of government. So what happens next? Right. So you've got oil money, which the state has kind of been it's been its largest um, source of revenue. It's it's not enough to pay for state government anymore. We've used our our savings. It's about gone, and it's not enough to continue with the spending of the growth of government. And our PFD is our the permit fund dividend is going to be gone because the growth of government is going to consume it. We don't have another source of revenue, and we don't have the will to reduce the spending. So it's it's only a matter of time before we just spend all of the permanent fund earnings on government. So what's next? We have a couple options. It's likely, and this is what the conversation is right now in the legislature, that we just need more oil taxes, yeah. right? Well, there's a there's a line at which you can't cross and still have oil industry. I don't know what that line is. I don't get to decide that, the oil companies do. So all we have to do is keep ratcheting up the amount of taxes that we're drawing from the oil industry. And pretty soon they will decide, you know what? It's not as profitable as we need it to be. And we're gonna go somewhere else. We'll take our capital, we'll take our people and we'll go somewhere else and make money somewhere else doing something else. So that's that's a, a short-sighted and limited option with a dwindling revenue source. There are a lot of people here that want to have an income tax. We used to have an income tax. History says we could have it. Uh, we could raise enough revenue to help pay for our budget off of an income tax. And I hear that down here all the time. We just need another income tax. But we have an outward migration of people. If you institute an income tax, especially if you're going to institute a high earners income tax that is a... Uh, 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 intellectually going to draw from the people that are wealthy and most able to pay a tax. What are they going to do? At they're some point, bye-bye. <laughs> they're going to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going somewhere else. They're going to say, I'm going to go retire to Florida or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's a recipe for um, helping move people out of the state. So it's short-sighted. So we've got options. 
we've got budget cuts. We can just reduce our government spend, but the current legislature doesn't want to do that. So that's that's out of the equation. We could institute some sort of a plan that includes a series of things that would improve our um, position, improve this structure going into the future. You, if we could in, um, put a spending limit in place that that slows or limits the growth of government over time, we would be in a better position in time because we're we've instilled discipline into the legislature and are able to to keep control or keep keep the growth level down and predictable. But there aren't enough members in the legislature who just want to implement a, a, a functional spending limit. So you've got to tie it. You've got to make it a political arrangement or an agreement compromise in order to get a spending limit into place. So somebody who wants a sales tax or wants an income tax or wants oil taxes, maybe you can get them to agree to fine. We'll say yes to an oil tax. We'll say yes to some other sort of source of revenue, but only if we can constrain our spending. Because again, I'll remind you and the listeners, we don't have we have a divided legislature. We don't have unanimous agreement on how to solve this problem. So we have to find some um, some compromise that gets us out of this structural problem. Well, to date, we don't we haven't been able to find agreement on some sort of uh, comprehensive plan. But Alaskans want to see their PFD continued. Even if it's smaller, I saw the the um, state chamber of commerce poll that just came out, and Alaskans would like to see their government reduced. They would like they would be okay with a smaller PFD, at least according to this poll. But they want to see the PFD program continue. This this model is what I'm showing you is a recipe for an elimination of the PFD program. It will happen. Just yeah. it will naturally happen. Yeah, folks that are listening, um, you know, the Senate just voted 25-75. So, because I, I know I'm going to get folks that are going to say, oh, it will never be 25-75. Well, it just got voted, was it yesterday, 25-75? The, the Senate Finance sent the budget out of Senate Finance without a PFD. They balanced the budget with spending and without a PFD. No PFD. On, on no PFD. Wow. That's That's the budget of the future. The, the Senate floor added in um, a 2575. So they've they've also passed a, a uh, bill and maybe that hasn't happened yet. I, uh, I don't the budget hasn't come to us back from the Senate. so that part hasn't happened. I'm getting ahead of myself. What has come from the from the Senate floor and is now in the uh, house is a a bill to change the statute to a 25-75 split yeah. that we would stop fighting over it and just have a 25-75. But again, it's not constitutional. We can just ignore it anytime we want. And it's it's basically a ploy to get through this legislative session. But the so point they is- So say it's legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly it. The point is, is that without any sort of change, if we're not gonna cut and we're not, if we're not gonna cut the budget, to save the PFD, and we're not going to raise taxes to save the PFD, then the PFD is going to go away. That's it. Yeah. Those are your options. Those are the two levers you have to you have to make. You either have to have the will to reduce spending, or have to have the will to raise revenue somewhere else in order to see the permanent fund earnings come to us. Now, this is what I'm what I'm concerned about. Government wins. The people leave. 
we don't have <laughs> government in <and> you, Paul. <laughs> right? So I'm going to go back um, a couple slides here just to have this. So this is what's really important. We're not going to see growth in our economy until a couple things happen. One, there's got to be a reason for people to stay in Alaska or come to Alaska. And that, those reasons are varied. One of them, and probably the biggest one, is economic growth. There have to be jobs and good-paying jobs in Alaska for people to want to come to Alaska and stay here. There needs to be good schools. If I'm going to raise a family, we need to have good quality schools. And if I'm a business owner and I want to come capitalize on opportunity, there's got to be low-cost energy. And those are those are three things that are musts when you're when you're looking at families and, and uh, entrepreneurs moving around. Entrepreneur is going to need people. He's going to need um, employees to make his his business model work. So you need you need good education. You need good uh, jobs. You need low cost energy. And that for the for the most part, we don't really talk about solutions here because none of that is really required for the government lobby. As long as we have a source of revenue and an ability to tax, we don't really care about that small other. We don't really care about all the other revenue sources and where it's coming from, because we can always go back to the investment earnings or oil taxes. There's, there's nothing that, that the legislature needs to do in order to continue funding the government and the government programs from that non-oil economy that's represented on this slide. So the structural change that needs to happen is to give the government a reason to care about our non-oil economy. We don't talk about a whole lot of uh, reductions in uh, regulations, regulation reform, business business uh, license reform. What we do talk about is adding um, boards and commissions to different <laughs> different uh, industries to help regulate them and I'll make us safer and make it more more complex and harder to do business. That's what we do talk about. But if if we want to have a prosperous Alaska, then we have to focus on that non-oil economic engine. And it's we, the legislature, that has to focus on that. We can't grow it ourselves. We need to create conditions where others can prosper. So to the extent that a fiscal plan that addresses a sales tax, a corporate income tax reduction, a PFD solution that puts that constitutionalizes a, a payment of a PFD and, implement, and Im implements a, a spending cap, an effective spending cap, those are all necessary to get us on a structural path that forces the legislature to consider economic growth a priority for the state. And your plan has all all those items in it. Correct. That's correct. And I think a lot of folks, when I've talked to folks, their one of their first questions is, well, is this it's the spending cap and the permanent fund? Is that in this plan? Is that going to be in the constitution or is it just a statue that folks can ignore? Nope. So the PFD solution, um, my HJR House Joint Resolution 7 spells out that the P permanent fund dividend program is, is uh, dedicated. So we've got a prohibition against the dedication of funds in our constitution. And what basically what that means is 
uh, unless it's specifically identified in the constitution, the legislature has to appropriate money every year. So House Joint Resolution 7 modifies the constitution to enable us to um, dedicate the revenue from the permanent fund to two particular sources, one to the permanent fund dividend program and one to state government. In the spirit of compromise, I have uh, agreed to uh, a bill that is a um, passenger or a, a companion to that resolution that would eliminate the 21% of net earnings statute, even though that's what I would like. I, I think I like that structure better, but the majority of the legislature wants to see the percent of market value structure. So the, the 110, HB 110 would, would uh, codify, it would, it would um, put in statute that there's a 5% of market value draw and that that earnings is split 50-50 for government and for the permanent fund dividend program. And you can't ignore that statute. The legislature doesn't have to appropriate to make it happen because the, the resolution changes the constitution to a shall pay. It just, it just happens. It's a dedicated program. The permanent fund dividend gets paid. The, the payment to state government gets paid. And we don't have to appropriate it in the, in the um, budget process. It doesn't have to be in our budget anymore. Likewise, the, what about this, the constitutional spending cap? Is that going to, is that in your plan? Is that going to be put in the constitution? Representative Stapp and Senator Kaufman brought forward a spending limit um, package that was um, HDR 2, House Joint Resolution 2 on the House side, and um, HB 38, House Bill 38. And those two work together. One of them is a constitutional amendment that said that uh, eliminates the current ineffective constitutional spending limit and brings that down and ties it to the size of our gross domestic product in the state. So it ties it to our economy. So if the economy grows, then spending can grow. So, but it's it's constitutional. And they and his his limit puts a constitutional number in there of 14%. The uh, HB 38 is a companion to that and says there's a lower limit of 11.5% uh, and you can bypass that 11.5% only for capital spending. So your operating budget is limited to 11.5% basically. And then your capital spend can be between the 11% and the 14%. And it requires a, a higher threshold vote to override that spending limit. So can these two things, um, is this something that is going to be on a, on the ballot or is this something that you guys can implement? Um, what's your, what's your, what's the thought process there? Great, great question. Both of the resolutions require the people to vote on them because they're modifying the constitution. Okay. People would have to say yes to a spending limit and they would have to say yes to a, to constitutionalizing the PFD. And the other bills that the companion pieces of legislation are are tied to the passage of those bills, so they wouldn't take effect unless the resolutions are passed. That's that's that can be written into the the piece of legislation so that that we pass the legislation and then you know next year when we vote, they won't they won't take effect if the people vote the the plan down. Same thing with the sales tax. The sales tax could be written so that if people say no to a spending limit and no to a permanent fund dividend, um, constitutionally protected permanent fund dividend, 
then the sales tax wouldn't come into effect. And is the sales tax, I think that's, you know, I think conservatives are going to be super excited about the constitutional spending cap, super excited about getting the permanent fund in the constitution and they're the sales tax, they're going to go, Rrr. is that a carrot out there so that you can get all teams to work with you on this? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the fiscal policy working group um, document, uh, the report indicated that you've got a constitutional protection of the PFD. You've got an effective spending limit that's required. You've got some budget reductions that need to happen. And you've got some uh, broad-based revenue that needs to be raised. And that is the political arrangement that has to that has to be in place in order to get the votes for any one of these components to pass in the legislature. Because there, there isn't enough, there aren't enough votes for people to just pass a constitutional amendment protecting the PFD. We can't do that all by itself. Likewise, we can't pass just a, a resolution and for a spending limit that's effective. And if you're if you're going to change the spending limit and you're just going to do it in statute, then and, and think that it's going to be effective, then you're just you just don't understand fundamentally how the state of Alaska budget process works. We through the appropriations process can can ignore any statute that we need to to pass a budget. That's that's our authority based on the constitution. I don't agree with that, but that's the way it is. <laughs> that's the reality. That's why you can, you know, essentially, you know, meet longer than 90 days. You know, that's one of the biggest questions is, well, they don't pay attention. Well, they could realistically, they can, you all can pretty much do whatever you want. If, if we did not, if we repealed the dedication of funds clause out of the constitution, then the statute we establish a statute that says the legislature shall pay X. Then we don't, we can't, we can't, um, we can't uh, violate that. Yeah. Because we've dedicated that fund and the constitution says, hey, if it's dedicated, then you, it's, it's the effect of the constitution that says you must do this. If you want to change it, then change the law or change the constitution, but not through a budget bill. And so that's what we're trying to get to with the with regards to the spending limit and through the and the PFD program. So yeah, so I guess the answer to your question is yes, it, it is kind of the carrot. But if you look over at the um, at the um, revenue forecast that I'm sharing, the legislature only cares, and it will only ever care, about the revenue sources that are coming into the state. That is our that is our purpose. It's our constitutional requirement to come and pass a budget. If Alaskans, and I know this is hard to hear, if Alaskans continue to look to oil and permanent fund earnings to pay for its state government without it taxing Alaskans, then those who are actually paying the taxes are going to bend the ear of the legislature. They're the ones that have the most lobby authority, not authority, lobby influence yeah. down in down in Juneau. It's just a it's just a fact of nature that if you pay for something, you have a dog in the fight and people care about what you think. But if you're not paying for it, then Juno is a long ways away. So it's a paradigm shift 
for for Alaskans. So your plan puts the uh, puts a constitutional spending cap, puts the permanent fund in the constitution. Both of those things would be on the ballot, and if both of those pass, then it would kind of set into gear a sales tax, 1%, 2%, 3%, something like that. And what you're saying to the folks that are listening are, is those first two things will never make it out of the House or the Senate to even be on the ballot unless there's a sales tax. Unless there's, and I, I would say it doesn't have to be a sales tax, unless there's some sort of broad-based revenue increase. So we could end up with a with an income tax. And I tell you, if the current crop of of Republicans were not in the majority, we'd probably have an income tax. And I would guess that that's what the left would put in place eventually. You know, once we once we run um, once we spend the entire permanent fund dividend program on state government here in a few years, the government is still going to grow. The government doesn't have anywhere else to go. They've already used all of the permanent fund earnings for themselves. The oil, they can't squeeze any more oil out. They <laughs> or will come to or else the, the oil companies are going to say bye-bye. <laughs> they, they will come to Alaskans with a some other tax. So the question that we really have before us is, do you want a PFD? Pro, uh, PFD? Do you value the PFD program? Do you want to continue a PFD and have a tax? Or do you want to have a tax and no dividend, because that's where it's headed. So what do you what do you say to the folks that say, well, you know, and I'm in this boat. You and I have had this conversation. We just cut your way out of it. You know, figure it out. Cut it. What do you, I don't know. Understand why you're doing more. You know, more of this mumbo jumbo. Uh, you know, polit political stuff. Just go in there and start slicing and dicing. Yeah. So that's technically possible. But it it means that our that the way we do government would be drastically changed, and that causes pain and discomfort within the government lobby, and therefore pain and comfort uh, discomfort down here in Juneau. We don't have the legislators elected that are willing to endure that kind of discomfort in order to reduce the spending in in on the state budget. You you would literally have to be addressing the two largest budgets that we have: education. And, and health, Medicaid. You would have to make some sort of drastic changes to the way we do talking. Your deficit this year is, is uh, between eight and $900 million. So you're going to take, you're gonna take four or five, six, $700 million out of either of those two budgets. It's a, it's a, um, a drastic reshifting, uh, restructuring of what those two organizations would do. If you cut it out of education, then, then your local your local uh, school districts and local boroughs are going to have uh, a shift of some kind in, in uh, spending or or in services provided. So if that's what Alaskans want, then we can do that. It, it is technically possible to just line item, and the governor could do it too. Just line item it out. We won't spend on that. And those those programs would would atrophy or or not get funded and they would die and go away and we would learn we would have a new normal without those programs we'd figure out a way to do it but you don't have the legislature to be able to do that you don't you don't have the people down here yeah and i think a lot of folks on i mean unfortunately god bless him the governor had a good run at it and we all 
conservative saw what that was like, he, you know, you might as well have thought he was killing a bunch of kittens in his basement. That's how they treated him. And I think that scares a lot of folks from from elected folks for making those cuts because they're like, holy crap, you you know, remember what happened to Governor Dunleavy when he tried to make cuts? The sky was falling. <laughs> you're making a you're making a, a point that I was going to bring up. From a human nature perspective, those who were in the legislature for Gun Dunleavy's first term are a little gun shy. Yeah. Because those in the legislature who did support the reductions, some of them got hammered for doing so by constituencies and by the government lobby. And there wasn't a whole lot of support, vocal support for those individuals. And and they're just gun shy. Yeah. Right or wrong, my 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 intuition and my my political philosophy says I I don't have to worry about the criticism I'm, I'm here to do a job yeah but i'm i'm not all people and people don't think like i do so the 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 hu very human reality is that some people are going to shy away and are shying away from criticism about making hard decisions to cut the budget it isn't it isn't right or wrong it just is that is just the reality we have here i'm not passing judgment on anybody i'm just yeah. saying that's that's this is what, what it is this is what it is so in your opinion, you've, you know, you're one of the more senior house people there now. Um, you've been around for budget cycles. Um, if something like this fiscal plan does not get put in place this year or next year, sayonara to the permanent fund. Um, yes. So you said permanent fund, not permanent fund dividend. Yeah. So here's here's a here's a sticky problem. So we go and we go and uh, spend the permanent fund dividend program completely on state government, so that all of our permanent fund earnings are going to pay for state services. Okay, and that's a new paradigm. If you come in and tax people, whether whether it's a sales tax or an income tax, and you set a rate that sustains government because the government growth can't. Is, uh, is greater than what the permanent fund earnings can support and you need additional revenue and you don't have economic growth within the state, then you continue the decline of the economy and continue the decline of the people leaving the state. And that presents a problem because if we can't sustain our, our budget and we don't want to cut our budget, then at some point in time, we run out of money. We, yeah. we don't have money. You could cut the budget then, but you might have a, a situation where your where your pension funds become insolvent because we can't afford them. What what happens if um, we have too many bad stock uh, stock market years in a row? What if the U.S. dollar is no longer the the reserve currency for the world, and we see a, a massive amount of inflation come in? Like my crystal ball is as, cl as cloudy as the next guy, but. <laughs> The future doesn't look bright for Americans right now. We don't have good fiscal policies and good, good, um, good policies that we can we can bank on with uh, with hope right now. And so, if our pension funds become insolvent, and we owe billions of dollars to them right now, the courts are going to say 
they're not going to recognize that there's a constitutional pro uh, prohibition against spending out of the permanent fund, not the dividend program, the corpus of the fund. Oh, yeah. The they're going to say, take 10 billion bucks from that fund, hop it that's, over to this pension fund and call it good. That's exactly it. Um, because there is a constitutional um, um, guarantee that those pensions will not be diminished in the future. So the state is going to pay that $9 billion. It's either going to come from our budget and from our taxes or from the permanent fund earnings, or it's going to come from the permanent fund itself eventually. Yeah. So you have this fiscal plan. Is this something that is going to be um, looked I know it's being looked at this year, but do you think this is going to come to a fruition and actually be voted on this year? Or is this like a next year thing? So I'm suspecting that there's going to be a special session called. I don't know whether it's going to be immediate or whether it's going to be later in the year, but I suspect that the governor is going to call a special session to deal with this. I don't know whether there's um, an appetite. Right now, I would say there's not really an appetite in the Senate to do anything with the fiscal plan. Again, there are many members of the Senate who would who would rather um, just spend the entire permanent fund earnings on state government and, and be done with the permanent fund dividend program. Hence their budget with no permanent fund dividend in it. <laughs> That's it. That telegraphed all I needed to know. So we're either going to deal with it in a special session. Um, the, the writing's on the wall that we're not going to be able to do anything about it this session. Um, well, I'll either do it in a special session or we'll take it up again next session. Uh, it's not impossible to do next January. It, it is difficult because it's an election year. But I don't know what what better of something to be going forward with after after the session that you've you've uh, solved this political problem, this structural problem, and and then go to the voters with it, right? I mean, yeah. there is some there is some advantage to look at this to be able to say, hey, we we finally um did what many legislatures could not do i mean ever since the start of the decline of oil we have the legislature has recognized that we need to do something but the can's been do. kicked down the road and it's only probably got another 20 feet to be kicked down before it implodes <laughs> and you know there's some there's some philosophy here in the state and, and also in the legislature that says hey the, the only way you're ever going to get to change that that matters that that's needed is to run the train off the tracks, to spend all the money, just be done, be broke, and then it forces everybody to have to make decisions. There's truth to that. That is a way. I think the the prudent, um, the wise person says, hey, if I've got resources that can prevent me from running the train off the tracks, then I ought to use those resources to prevent that from happening because it's much worse to run the train off the tracks than to find a solution before you run out of track. Well, uh, I think this has been very helpful, Representative Carpenter. I, uh, I do really appreciate you thinking about what does it look like to, for Alaska to have a long-term fiscal plan. I think you've got great staff there helping you for folks that um, need to be reminded. He has, the, uh, he has Donna Arduin helping on, I think, is this she on one of the committees as a staff person? Yeah, she's my policy advisor for House Ways and Means. Nice. And she is just phenomenal, folks. I mean, our crowd knows her, but man, she is one of the leading budget experts in the whole United States when it comes to state budgets. And we, um, 
we're blessed to have her here in the state again, working with Ben. And uh, Ben, do you have any last minute thoughts here before we head off? Yeah, I would just, and I think Donna would, would want me to put a plug in for other states that have uh, ratcheted back their income taxes and are relying on a sales tax structure, that those states are are booming. That when you when you remove taxes from the from the um, the function of actually going to work and uh, change the structure of taxes to that which is spending, then you you have a better stable growth uh, curve for uh, state governments and the and for the economy of the state. And and I just have to remind people that if you're thinking about what you really really want. Is it a large PFD or is it a growing economy? If we're telegraphing in our conversations to our legislators that what we really want is a growing economy, then we need to have those conversations. How do we, what do we put in place to grow our economy? A permanent fund dividend that is consumed by the government does not benefit our private sector economy. A, a permanent fund dividend that gets spent in our private sector economy benefits our private sector economy. And if you put a tax in place that then helps fund the government, then some of that permanent fund comes back to the state government through a sales tax, but it's benefiting our private sector growth. That is a much preferable uh, situation to be in than no permanent fund dividend and a tax, because that's where we're headed. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Representative Carpenter. Uh, we'll put a link to your bills here in the podcast this description so folks can go check them out and uh we uh, wish you success down there in juno and i'm sure i'll see you when you get back here in town in nikiski uh, we hope everybody has an amazing rest of their day uh here in alaska and wherever you're listening to all around the globe and until next time i'm john quick from somewhere in alaska thanks representative carpenter thanks john it was good thanks yep. for the conversation